Listen. Welcome to the Dotcast from Nine Dots. Nine Dots is the online learning community for wedding photographers. You can find out more about membership and our annual conference, the Nine Dots Gathering, at nine-dots.co. Hello again, welcome back wherever in the world you're listening from and thanks for joining us. My name's Adam Johnson, I've been your host on this second series of Dotcast episodes and today I'm talking to Rafe Abrook. Rafe's a wedding photographer from Hertfordshire in the UK. Is Rafe the tallest wedding photographer in the UK? I don't know, but he's definitely up there. Pun intended. Rafe shares loads of tips that I think will resonate with a lot of wedding photographers in this episode, including how he started his business by attending as much training as he could in a short space of time, how and why he works with a second shooter at every wedding, embracing who you are and making it part of your work, and then he finishes with some tips about outsourcing that are worth thinking about ahead of a crazy 2021. There's also a really strong message that comes through from what Rafe chats about, which is that he really values the power of communities like Nine Dots, and also how he has a general attitude to never stop learning, a vital and very inspiring mindset if you want longevity in this business. Any questions, comments or feedback, drop Nine Dots a message on Instagram or Facebook, or send an email to hello at nine-dots.co. Righty-ho, that's my intro. Here's Rafe. Knowing me, Adam Johnson. Knowing you, Rafe Abrook. Aha! Aha! <laughs> how are you, Rafe? I'm very well, thanks, Adam. How are you? I am also very well. Um, so I've written a list here about you. I, when I was thinking, around, I'm going to be chatting to Rafe today, I've written a list of the, the things I know about Rafe Abrook. So do you want me to read that list to you? Hit me with it. Right. Extremely tall. I knew that would be the first one. Uh, basketball. Correct. But I believe that's a legal responsibility to anybody of your height anyway, so... Yeah, I don't know what, yeah. I don't know what, I'll ask you in a bit, but I don't know whether you chose to do that. I think you were just legally compelled. Uh, proud dad. Indeed. Uh, obsessed with cars. Oh, yes. Uh, cannon shooter. Indeed, yes. A PC user. For my sins. Um, a Sony hater. Not true. I just like winding up, <laughs> I just like winding up Sony users. <laughs> uh, and equally a Mac hater. Uh, again, I just like, I just like winding people up, to be honest, Adam. I'm just a, I'm just a bully when it comes to that. I just don't want to. I don't like following the herd, and you know. Anyway, uh, no, honestly, I think I think it doesn't really matter what you use, whether it's camera or laptop. Well, they all get the job done. It's just personal preference. Yeah, that's the would, that's the boring answer. <laughs> no, but I, I was joking anyway. I know you're not you're not uh, a hater. Uh, uh, so look, let's start with extremely tall. Like, is it, obviously, that, I guess that's going to be the first thing that most people bring up with you. Because how tall are you exactly? So um, I thought, always thought I was six seven, and then uh, a few years ago I broke my nose playing basketball, and um, or basketball as you guys say, and um, I had to go to hospital for, for an op, and uh, they measured me, um, and I thought, well, this is all very official, and I came out six eight, and I thought I've been selling myself short an inch for all these years. So oh, unless I had a late spurt in my forties or something, I've no idea. But anyway, you're always going to round up, aren't you? So. Uh, yeah, six eight apparently two meters and two. If we're being metric, somewhere nice. between, yeah. So well, that, that's just, good because that means you win the nine dots height contest against Adam Lowndes. I think so. We sort of had a bit of a height off at the last gathering, um, and I think we even were made to go back to back to the baying crowd. And um, I think I picked him. Possibly my hair was a bit more spiked up. I don't know, but it was it was pretty close. There's Ben Minar as well, who's about six 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 seven, so he's pretty close as well. Yeah, I know. There's the three. I can't have a conversation with the with the three of you. Um, the I mean, when when you had the measurement at the hospital, did was it just a quiff? Did the did the, did the famous rave quiff give you the the extra inch? 
I think possibly, but I did ask for a certificate as proof so I could take it back with me, you know, walk around at weddings and sort of have it as some sort of, you know, sort of badge of honour. How do you feel about people bringing up your height as the, almost the, probably the first, all the time? Uh, well, it's probably the same for, for most guys. I don't know whether this would be the same for Adam and Ben, but when you grow up and you, you're sort of 14, 15, and you suddenly go through this um, growth spurt uh, that suddenly, you know, one summer you you, you sort of, you know, May, June, you, I don't know, I think in my case, I think I might have been 5'10", and I came back in September and I was like 6'2". And everyone just goes, what the flip? And, you you know, you're super conscious of it because as, you, as a teenager, you know, we're all at our most self-aware. And uh, it just draws attention to yourself. And at that age, you don't necessarily want people, you know, looking at you, staring and asking you. So you just want to sort of hide away. So it was tough to deal with for a few years. But when I left high school and went to university, I sort of came to terms with it all a bit. And I just thought, you know what, this is a good thing. Um, most people, you know, most blokes would like to be a bit taller. So let's just stop looking at it as a negative. And to be honest, as a wedding photographer, it's great because I think anything that's a conversation starter, for me, gets me into the wedding. Um, and for me, it's my way in. It's the first thing people always say. And you get the usual you know, the same comments I've heard 92,000 times. Uh, you can almost play bingo with them and sort of tick them off as you go. Um, but, you know, because I embrace it and um, it's it's a good thing and just gets conversation going. And if I, I have a chance, then I could either be, you know, a bit of an arse and sort of say, roll my eyes and just go, yeah, whatever, mate. And then you've removed yourself then from that, that group of people. Or you just, you know, you know they're going to say the same things. You roll with it and suddenly you're having a chat about it. And, and that is it. I think for, for anyone that wants to, and I think we all, hopefully, I think everyone here probably knows that getting, you know, becoming part of the wedding is part of our success. And when other people see other guests talking to you, having a laugh, getting on, they think, oh, photographer's all right. And then they'll chat to you. And that's, for me, is how I use it. I mean, I have to say, it does, I freak the hell out of bridesmaids when I walk in in the morning with a massive, you know, cameras around my neck and a big bag and a bag full of snacks and this six foot eight mid 40s bearded galoot walks into the room and it's just like whoa cameras huge bloke <laughs> old what the hell's going on so i have to sort of break down those barriers pretty quickly i think we all do you know as, as, especially as male photographers in a bride prep scenario we all know that's that's you know win over the bridal prep party quickly uh get them to relax and then just carry on but it's it's another thing that you've feels like another hurdle I've got to kind of jump over is this, oh my God, there's this freakishly tall guy in the room uh, and he's got cameras and I've got no makeup on and you have to just sort of calm everyone down a bit. So, but then it, as you say, it's, it's, it's conversation starter and it just gets the conversation flowing. Um, and if you have a laugh and you, you, you're happy to chat about it, people are like, brilliant. He's not, you know, he's, he's, it's not, it's not a negative thing for him. So, yeah. Do you think, I mean, that's what I was going to ask you. You kind of answered my next question. So I'll go, I'll skip one because you're, you get answered two and one. Good work. But uh, do, what, do, you th- do you think it hel- helps or hinders as in the actual photography of the day as the day goes along? Well, that's the, that's the number one thing that people say. Uh, it must be great being a, being a photographer, you know, being tall, getting all the angles and everything. And I say, my first comment is, well, you watch how much time I'm in a deep squat hold through this day because my hamstrings will be absolutely rinsed by the end of it. Because I think... Um, I mean, everyone's got their own technique during the day, but my, my thing is 
to not photograph the wedding and make it obvious that a six eight photographer photographed it. So, you know, there are times like, you know, Jewish weddings when the Israeli dance is kicking off and there's just a sea of people and bodies flying everywhere that I can get the camera really, you know, I can flip the screen back and get it up nice and high and I can capture groom being thrown in the air, you know, bride up on the chair, all that stuff that a shorter photographer might not. But then conversely on the dance floor when it's all going crazy at the end of the evening i am more aware of my size that if i start trying to dive into the middle of circles and weave through little gaps i could end up clattering the hell out of somebody so i'm quite aware of that and i've got second shooters that work with me i've got um uh, carl who's a, a who's a nine dots member um he's like a little ninja i mean he's just great on the dance floor he gets in gaps i can't get in and it's brilliant to have him there because i know he's really good at shooting dance floor with me and he can pick up stuff that I can't necessarily do without potentially smashing in somebody. But speeches, again, you know, I'm super aware of, of the fact that I'm, I'm, you know, potentially going to block a lot of people's views. So I, I just don't stand still. I'm just moving, but I'm, I'm low and I'm like literally squatting. And, you know, when you've got that floor in a barn that's got sort of, you know, cobbled kind of concrete and I'm on my knees for 40 minutes listening to Father the Bride and I can literally hear my knees crunching. You know that's that's when it gets tough, but um, but yeah, does it help? Yeah, it probably does. But I spend so much of the day in a low position, um, trying to get clean backgrounds by you know putting heads in clear spaces on walls and ceilings and and all that without obviously you know shooting up noses too much. So I, I don't think you know you'd look at one of my weddings and go, well, it's obvious that he's really really tall. I mean, that's what I try. That's what that, that that's something I want to try and avoid. But for me, it's just it's just getting the right compositions, getting the moments, but not at the cost of um, of anyone else at the wedding. Trying to do it in the most invisible way possible. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's going to have helped having a flippy screen. It is, yeah, because I was on the five D threes and fours for years, and you know, with those great big clunky heavy beasts, um, you know, we didn't have the option. But now I'm shooting shooting off the viewfinder, like you know, I guess like you know, Sony users do. Um, because it's a you know the ESRs are mirrorless and I can you know really just sort of hold them anywhere and still get a good look at the screen and use the you know the touch screen on the back to to move the focus and yeah they're just so much more flexible tools. Um, sorry, without getting into the techie side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned one at one point there. You mentioned about the fact you have second shooters and obviously I know you work a lot with Carl and uh, and others as well. Like so you you have a second shooter at every wedding, don't you? I do. Yeah. Um, I found it, it was really hard for me. I, I don't know how everyone's different the way they set the package up. I think when we all start, we give everyone the kitchen sink, don't we, just to get, you know, volume of work. And uh, certainly I did, you know, when I look at what I did and what I charged and what I gave away, you know, sort of cry a little bit even now. But at the start, it, I knew even from the get-go when I was shooting, uh, you know, sub-thousand-pound weddings that um, I would do better with somebody working with me. and. I like having the, uh, I, I don't mind being responsible for someone at a wedding. I know some photographers don't like that. They have this, you know, this sort of fear of worrying that they've, they've got to be responsible for somebody else. But I think if you're lucky as I am, that you sort of work with people over the years that you trust, you just know, we send them off a green prep. You don't need to tell them anything. They're just going to smash out green prep and give you what you want. Um, it's, it's not easy to, to get, Second, really good second shooters. I think loads of people probably listening probably know that, you know, they understand that. 
And I never wanted to put my eggs in one basket because the guys that I work with, like Carl, has got, you know, he's got a full-time job around his wedding photography. Uh, Dave, who I shoot with loads, uh, Dave Cullimore, exactly the same. Um, you know, Michael, my guy that used to be a secretary, is now my videographer. He's a policeman. So they've all got other stuff going on. So I can't rely on one person for our wedding season. I think having five or six, which I'm really fortunate to have, and they're all excellent, but they're all good eggs and they're all people I trust totally. But the second shooter thing for me, I've got it to a point where it was really hard for me to separate that from my um, from my package. I included it right up to probably a year and a half ago as a, you get this anyway. And then I thought, I need to put the prices up here am I going to separate the second shooter out? And I was really nervous of doing it. And I thought, you're just going to have to become a better salesperson. You're just going to have to upsell that. It's the one thing you've got to be able to upsell. Um, and it's weird now because I would shoot a wedding on my own, but I can easily convince my clients by not charging them a lot for the second shooter, make it an appealing thing and say, look, 300 quid, you're getting another me for the day. It's a no-brainer. And they look at it and they go, yeah, actually, we'll get a really good green prep. They're different angles of the ceremony. Um, and, you know, help with, you know, I've got my personal like, test lighting on for, um, you know, night shots and all that. So, yeah. Interesting. And also a good link to a recent episode with Nadine Van Billion, where she talks about upselling and sales and all the rest of it. So uh, her tip would be to include that as part of a very early part of the conversation, which I'm sure you're already doing. But did you ever consider, um, did you ever consider actually hiring a full-time second shooter person that would work as part of your business, like full-time, or did was you, were you always happy with using people you could get hold of as almost like contract subcontractors. I never really considered going, going down that route of, of, you know, literally almost sort of contracting someone in and saying, right, I've 25 weddings here. I need you to work with me. Um, I think I've just always managed to make it work each year, you know, year on year, I'll send out my, my plan in, you know, December and I'll say, right, this is what we've got guys who can do what they'll all come back and say, these are the dates I can do. I'll put a plan together. If one of them gets a booking of their own in the meantime, obviously I go, look, fair play, you know, I'll replace you, I'll get someone else in. And I think having that pool of five or six has always enabled me to, to you know, to, to get it covered. I mean, there are people, there's other people like um, Emmy and Zibby have shot weddings for me in the past as well. So friends, you know, I've known for years and years, right, going back to the start of Nine Dots, that I know in a pinch, you know, if they're available, I can work with them because I know, they're, you know, I know they're good eggs and the quality of their work is amazing. So, you know, I've got my second shooters and I've got others that aren't necessarily going to want to or be available to shoot 10 weddings a year with me. But I know so many people through the community that, um, but, you know, I, I would still... I would still not want to shoot with someone I've never shot with before. It's, it's, you know, uh, not as a second shooter, you know, do you know what I mean? I'd still yeah. want to know their personality. I couldn't risk my brand being tarnished by somebody who I just don't know their character enough. I think that's the, that's, that's the thing I've got to kind of know that they're, if they're put under duress or stress or, or whatever that, you know, they're going to handle themselves the right way. I think that's a really important thing for me. Yeah. No, plus I suppose if you need to ask them to do something, you need to know that they're, they're just able to just go and do that thing. Do you, um, do you, uh, when you're shooting with a second then, because obviously you've done it for a long, long time now, every single wedding. Well, how do you handle it in terms of like who gets the safe shots, who gets, and do you, do you trust them to get kind of the safety stuff so that you can go on more creative missions? Well, this is an interesting point. I remember going on a, a, a nine dots workshop, uh, whenever it was that Candice um, C. Kusic came over, I think it must have been 2016, maybe she came over. I think, it, probably was, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was 16. Did a workshop and she had, she was 
part of the workshop, she said, look, my second tutor does all the family group shots. They do all the boring stuff I don't want to do, and I can then go off and be creative. And when I shoot for other people as a second shooter, which I only tend to do once or twice a year, I then think, oh, God, yeah, I, I love this. This is brilliant. I've got no pressure. I can just create. I can, you know, take risks, and I love this. This is fantastic. And then I think, oh, man, I wonder if I could just do this and do what Candice did. And I, I haven't done it yet. And every time I joke with them about it, and Dave and Carl are probably cringing if they're listening to this at the moment, <laughs> uh, I always threaten to Dave that if he if he winds me up too much, I'm going to get him to do the family group shots because I know he'd do a good job on them. But I just think, oh man, that'd be unfair because that's what I'm getting paid for to do that. You know, take yeah. that pressure and just make sure you know ties are straight and there's no bottles in the photo and all that. And I think, you know, that I don't know. I I, I just haven't. I, I think I I would always do the stuff I feel I need to do and I'll let the second shooters basically just have a fun day and just they can shoot creatively and, and you know, as long as they get me some good green prep, as long as they get me a, a couple of decent shots in the back of the yard, whether it's church or wherever or barn, um, anything else is a bonus. But I, I don't want to put too much pressure on them. I think I'd need to have a different financial arrangement with them if I was going to start getting them to do all the family groups. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you do you, uh, so that after apart from that? So that's your brief to your seconds, really, is like groom prep and and some shots from the back of the aisle. And after that, they've got pretty much free free reign to do whatever they feel creates good photos for you. Yeah. The the other things as well would be uh, speeches. I say if you can focus on reactions, and I'll what I do is I tend to camp out the sort of uh, the I'm sort of down on the haunches in front of the bride and groom on the head table, assuming it's a flat head table, which as we all know is much more preferable. Um, so I am saying to them, look, I will get the head table, but I'll occasionally turn around and get reactions as well. So I'll have maybe a, an 85 or 135 on one camera and a 35 on the other. And I'll say to them, look, you probably could just shoot this with an 85. I just want you to fill, I want you to fill frames with heads laughing, basically, or crying. Just give me emotion, give me tight crops on people reacting from good angles so that you're not shooting side on necessarily, but you know, sort of three quarter angles or whatever. That's all I want from you because I might get so focused on photographing bride reacting to father of the uh, father of the bride, bride reacting to groom, groom reacting to best man. I get so obsessed in making sure I don't miss those shots. I just need to know that I've got somebody getting reactions. So I don't look at it at the end of the day and realize I've got no reactions. So that's quite important for me. And that when I, the very few occasions I've shot speeches on my own, I do, find that I'm just blasting like a gunner again because I think I've got to do everything. Yeah. Whereas normally I just know I've got to focus on head table and I will get a few reactions, but I don't want to turn around, be doing reactions and then miss, you know, the, um, the best man putting his head in his hands or something like that. Uh, but in the evening, my tactic is I find that on dance floor, unless it's a absolutely packed dance floor with, you know, 50 plus people going for it, if it's one of those where there's kind of never more than 15 to 20 people dancing, I'm very aware there's two photographers running around, you know, papping away out there. It can be a bit irritating if the same people are constantly having flash fired off in their faces. So I tend to sort of almost tag team with my second. So like, I might walk off, grab a bit of quiche, you know, Carl or Dave will <laughs> step in, shoot for five minutes. I'll come back, tag. They'll go and get a vulnerable. Then I'll go in. They'll go, you know, I'll go back in and do it. And so it doesn't feel like we're overwhelming people. 
because the last thing we want to do is drive people off the dance floor. So that's that's the sort of tactic we do. If it's not absolutely rammed, it's like one of those parties that's absolutely roof raised, then we're just all going out guns blazing, basically. I love the fact you're still shooting weddings in the late 80s as well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, time travel is key. Yeah, I, I don't know how well the terms quiche and volivant will translate into, if because we, we've got a few international listeners. Uh, yeah. I don't know what you'd call those things in uh, international language. Are they, I mean, quiche is obviously French anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway. What's, what's Villabon? I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it must be French. Do they exist or did they die out in 1992? I'm not sure. I think they still exist. I'm pretty sure I saw one on an episode of Come Dine With Me very recently. <laughs> Last question on seconds. Do you, uh, do you ask your second shooters to sign a contract, like a second shooter contract? Uh, I don't actually know. Uh, I know a lot of photographers do, but I've, I've, I've not gone down that route. I think just because they're all, um, but yeah, it sounds a bit contrived, but they are all friends. They're, you know, they're, it's not, I think if I was using people that I didn't know, then possibly I would. But I think just I've got this arrangement that, you know, that I know they're going to give me what I need. I know they're going to do the job I need. Um, they have, the ability to use those images for their own marketing. There's never any query there. I just say, just don't tag me in if you're going to put on social media because I don't want the couple seeing work that I might not have given them. Um, but, you know, there's, I don't really restrict them. I try and make it appealing for them to want to work with me. You know, I make sure they get fed. I pay them the minute they invoice me. I just make it really easy for them. Um, so I've not really needed a contract because I know I'll pay them, you know, as soon as they invoice me, I'll just get it done. I'll look after them on the day. I'll make sure that, you know, the couple know who they are and I introduce them to everyone. So I bring them in. You know, they're not just people showing up with cameras. They're part of my team. And I want everyone at the wedding to see that we're a team. It's not just me. And I think that has just always worked quite nicely. The thing that I love is when I get, uh, you know, when you get the odd sort of thank you card through the post from the couple with one of your photos on it, is when they mention, you know, dear Rafe and Dave or Rafe and Carl, thanks so much. You guys are absolutely amazing. And I just think, you know, brilliant. That's that's really good that they they, they see, you know, these guys as, as part of it, not just Rafe and his second shooter. So that's, that's a lovely thing for me. Very cool. My only view, going back to the whole uh, group shots, second shooters doing group shots debate, I guess. My only view on that is I see that as my one of my only opportunities on the day to kind of interact on a personal level with a wider group of people, you know, the immediate families and, yeah. you know, other people and stuff. And I think if I took that out and I wasn't able to have that interaction, it might, it p- could potentially harm your kind of referral rates. Cause it gets, I mean, I, I always think it gets more people to see that you're a really nice person and I you know, able to put people at ease and stuff. So I would, I think I would always carry on doing those shots. I, uh, I agree, Adam. I agree. And, I, and I'll add to that as well. One of the things when I'm pitching myself and I'm talking to them about, you know, um, how I work, I say to them, look, you know, one of the biggest potential stress points of the day is doing those group shots because you guys are going to be, you know, you're going to get to a point where you're thinking, man, I really want another drink and I want to go and chat to my friends. And dad's holding us up by going for a wee when he knew we needed him for the photo. And the more assertive, assertive in a positive way I can be and the more efficient I can be in getting those photos done without any ag, that, that is a, that's a massive part of what I do. and. While I'm not saying that my second shooters couldn't do that, yeah. I think I'd be copping out by you know bumping that responsibility when I've sold them on the fact that I will get those group shots done in 20 minutes, and I'm yeah. you know and I've committed to that. And if I gave that to a less assertive second shooter, 
and they bumbled about a bit and they just wanted to be really nice and wait for everyone. It could take 40 minutes and I failed then. And also, um, I always think, you know, not that they would, not, I'm not saying they would, but if, if your second, if you had left those to your second shooter and they cocked them up in any way, that is, it's you that's got to then answer to the family of the, why they haven't got those shots, which a lot of them will think they're the most, the absolute most important shots of the whole day. So I would always want to be personally responsible for them to make sure that I know before I get back to photo mechanic that they're good, they're good enough. Absolutely, and what's it, what's important to us is is you know uh, the, the shots that we live and die for are, are, are you know not necessarily the ones that that are as important to Granny, and I think we've all got to respect that. And you know, yeah. even I'm sure you know many of us get that client that that dream client that says, "Oh, we don't want group shots." And like a lot of people, I talk them into having them. I say, "Well, look, you know, it might not be for you, and it's certainly not for me, but it's probably going to be for your generation above." I said, "They're going to expect it as they'll probably expect a wedding album." tick up sell. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. you know, yeah. So yeah, I agree. Okay. Let's move on. So what did you do before you were a wedding photographer? Basically I ended up spending 15 years managing sales teams around the UK who were selling financial products like credit cards and insurance. Tedious to be on belief, but I found that I quite enjoyed the process of selling and I found that I enjoyed the motivational side of going to sales meetings and standing in front of 50 salespeople and trying to get them, whip them up and get them positive and everything. In the meantime, I'd been asked to do a few weddings for friends because they'd seen me put photos of kids up on Facebook and all that, but always oh, good photographer, maybe you could do a wedding. And rather than kind of overthinking it and thinking, oh my God, I can't do it. I'm, I won't be able to do it or can deal with the pressure. I just literally, I remember the time I was shooting on an Olympus E3. I don't know if anyone remembers the old, uh, before Olympus went micro four thirds, they had their normal four thirds uh, cameras. And uh, I was stuck with this outdated camera. And I remember going to the first wedding I ever shot, I borrowed a Canon 5D Mark II and a 2470 and a 7200 and never used them before. And just went and shot a wedding with a camera system I'd never used before. And I think I owe it to Canon <laughs> out of loyalty to stay with them because I survived my first wedding on a camera system I'd never used before because intuitively I just found it worked and I could just... I just got to grips with it really quickly. I mean, obviously, it was the same nightmare of slanty images and colour pops and all the horrendous stuff that we used to do back it's then. It's a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage. You've got to do a colour pop on your first wedding. Otherwise, you're not a photographer, I'm sorry. And, and the you know, the groom's walking down a drive at a 45-degree angle, that one. Definitely. So you've got to do that one. And then referring, um, to, referring to it forever as the reservoir dog shot. That's it, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. Highlights blown all sorts. Brilliant. Um yeah, so I and I think over the next, I, I did probably three years of doing maybe one or two weddings a year for friends or friends of friends. And I just used to think, God, I'm 10 times more excited about shooting these weddings for 500 quid than I am my actual job that I'm getting paid for. So when things came to a head with my old career and I sort of fell out with my, with my MD, uh, I managed to engineer leaving that job with a payout, which I thought I could put that towards setting up my business. But what I'd not done, which a lot of people do, I think, is I'd not gone out and worked as a second shooter and built up a, a big portfolio. I had a small portfolio of, of five or six weddings that I'd done. So I went and did um, a uh, slight plug here for the train diver. I did. I know a lot of people have gone through the train diver. I think they do really good work. So this was back in 2014. I did the wedding seminar, which is a four-day crash course in wedding photography. It's like mega intense everything they try and cram what they do over the academy over a space of a year into four days and it's a lot and i 
tried to go into sponge mode and absorb as much as I could. And I really enjoyed it. And I actually thought it was really good. Uh, I met Dave Cullimore there. Um, so that was how Dave and I got in touch with each other and became mates. And um, yeah, and I just sort of, I basically decided, right, I'm going to go from, you know, I'm going to become a wedding photographer in a couple of months. I'm just going to become one and I'm just going to find a way of making this work. I'm going to go to wedding fairs. I'm going to take my paper, you know, my wafer thin portfolio. I'm going to bling it up and put it in some albums and I'm just going to convince people that I'm the real deal. And I guess I just used my sales skills that I developed through 15 years to convince people I was a wedding photographer. I didn't, I, I sort of had a rough business plan, but I just knew that um, if I could say, look, you're going to take, be taking a bit of a gamble on me. I've only done half a dozen weddings, but you know, this is what I've done in half a dozen weddings. I promise you in a year's time, 18 months time to shoot your wedding, I'm going to be this much better. And people were like, well, that's pretty good for 800 quid what you're doing there. So yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go. And that was it. And then I just very selectively used the weddings that were at decent venues with couples I felt were the brand I wanted to be. And I'd only market them and I would leave all the, you know, the sort of the registry office stuff off social media that I didn't want to, you know, sort of market myself. And I just, you know, I just built it up from there, really. Um, uh, like, I, I guess a lot of people do, but it was just, you know, I, I remember doing, it's weird. It was like, a, it's just, I threw myself into everything in like 2014, 2015. It was like, I did went to the, the SWPP down in London, did the business school there, just immersed myself around like, people like, you know, went and saw Brett Florence talk and um, the, uh, oh, I can't remember now, the Irish, the Irish guy, uh, not Ronan, uh, the other one, there's only two, isn't there, in Ireland? Um, uh, I can't remember, Donal, Donal. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Donal Doherty, uh, yeah, saw him. And a few others, you know, and I just tried to immerse myself with a load of people. This was obviously pre nine dots as well. I think I was 2014. I think I did the business school uh, or early 2015 rather. And it was just trying to see what other people were saying and doing pick bits that I wanted off that, which is again, you know, I'm still doing that now. You know, when I go to, to, to the gathering, it's, it's not try and be everybody. It's not, you know, come away and think, right, those speakers are brilliant. I'm going to do what all of them say. And I, I, I think I felt, sorry to wandering off here, Adam, but, you know, the first gathering for me was a mind-blowing experience back in 2015. It was just like, you know, two-man, Christmas Studios, Tyler Workin, you know, Spencer Lum, all these huge you know, Hollywood name wedding photographers, all giving similar but slightly different messages. And I sort of walked away and I thought, I need to be all of those people. I need to do all of that. I need to shoot F1.4 on the dance floor. I need to, you know, um, and you could go out. And I remember shooting my first wedding after the first gathering. And it was such a such a disappointment for me because I almost expected to just go out and be Tyler straight away. And I couldn't make it Tyler work and I couldn't make it too man. I couldn't make it, you know, um, Christmas Studios. And I felt gutted, you know, and I, I put all that pressure on myself. And, um, yeah, and I just had to then realise over the years that you, you're just not going to get there in five minutes. You've got to just decide what's you, take the bits you want, learn that, you know, you don't need to take 12 flashes to a wedding like Roman does, four's plenty. Um, but, you know, don't don't try and be everyone. I think that was the thing that I learned, which I'm probably sort of now, you're now crossing off all your other questions as I ramble off into the abyss. 
Yeah, I keep, I do keep doing that. I keep thinking, right, I'm going to ask him this in a minute, and then you answer it before I've even asked it. But I no, warned I mean, you. There's a, there's a lot to, there's, you did warn me. There's a lot to bring <laughs> up there in a lot of ways. I mean, one is, I mean, that's a really good point that you kind of finished with there, which is when you go, these days in wedding photography, there is an abundance of training content available from everywhere. And that's a great thing and also a bad thing because you can't, yeah, you can't just try and be that person who you're learning from. You have to look, you have to take the bits, I think, that, resonate with you and you think oh I can yeah I can uh, that makes sense I can slot that into my business you can't you can't come away from every training event or whatever totally reinventing yourself as a photographer and a business person because then you'd constantly be taking one step forward and several steps back Um, and you've always got to you've always got to I think pick up the 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 little nuggets that make most sense to you and resonate with you and your business from it from those things Uh, because it's great it's, it's so great really that there's so much there's so much content available to help us all improve our craft but that that's the other thing really is that you what you're saying a lot a lot of what you're saying really comes down to the fact that you're a, you have this attitude of never to never stop learning um and how important do you think that is really in the because in such a in an industry that changes so often and so quickly how how important do you think it is to have that attitude towards learning i think it's so important adam um i think that uh for me you know when I go to the gathering still and, you know, I see people there who um, I look up to massively, you know, people like, um, uh, you know, Alan Law and, and Ross Harvey and, and John Mould, you know, guys I've known now for years, but who are operating at an elite level. And I see them still learning, still absorbing from others. I think that's, that's the thing for me. It's not like go to a nine dots gathering, right, done that, you know, I don't need to do that again. No, because every time I go, I learn something new. There's a speaker there that will resonate with me. There's always, you know, every time I come away from one, I think, right, that that person, I need to, I'm going to go and look at more of their stuff now. I'm, you know, I think from the last gathering, I got in touch with um, Isabel and she's done some one-to-one mentoring for me because I really resonate with her style of work and thought, you know, I like the way she presented herself. I think she spoke a lot of sense and I thought, that's somebody that I want to learn more from, as I did with Tyler when I first heard in. Yeah, so for the first nine dots for me, Tyler was the one that sort of jumped out. Yeah, this is where I say I'm not Tyler. I'm not going to be Tyler. But there's a hell of a lot that Tyler said that I've incorporated into my business, a lot of stuff that I'll never forget that still rings true with me. And, and his critiques are still the, the best. I mean, I've, oh, yeah. I've, I've had Brutal. a few, but, oh, just, but in a nice way. Yeah. You know, he, does, he, he's, he doesn't do it in... At no point do I think he's being a dick when he's absolutely assassinating my work because you swear to God, you think, right, this, this image is solid. This is this is a solid image. And then, yeah, you know, 10 minutes later, you, you literally sort of, you know, wiping tears off your face. It's, it's brutal. But they're the ones that you remember. And I say, you know, his critiques, yeah, they're, they're next level. I, I implore anyone to get a Tyler critique. If you think you're doing well, go and, go and speak to Tyler. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Great great guy and incredible teacher as well. So yeah. obviously, um I want to wrap this up in about the next five minutes, but the we've had a let's say we've had time to reflect in twenty twenty. Let's let's spin it to the positive. Um what have you reflected on and what is is anything gonna change about your business or your photography once things come back to fingers crossed normal? I'm gonna stop shooting everything at F two point eight through the day. I own a bad habit or it, it's not been a massive problem, but I, I tend to get lazy. I tend to just leave leave my lenses at 2.8 and shoot. And I find that, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm getting things sharp and uh, I'm blurring backgrounds when I need to. But there are times when I think, 
I'm not saying I should go full, you know, um, uh, Dom and Liam and shoot at sort of F8 everything. But, you know, there are times when I think mm, maybe that story could have been told better if I'd have gone F5.6 and got a bit more detail in the background. And I think for me, that's in terms of my technical side, I'm going to play with my aperture a bit more over the next year, I think. I just tend to sort of obsess with shutter speeds and ISO and, and just leave the camera at 2.8. From, that's from a technical side. I think from a, from a business side, I still know that I can improve my workflow. Um, and I know that for a heck of a lot of us uh, who are cramming two years working into one year, I think we're all probably looking next year going, my God, I'm not going to have a life outside my job next year and I need to be more efficient with my processing, with my handling of admin, uh, with, you know, culling. And for me, I think it's always difficult for me to focus. You know, my attention span is like a two-year-old. It's horrendous. And, um, you know, I, I need to, I need to be, find a way that I can get back from a wedding, get that shit cold and get it off to my retoucher without, procrastinating and titting about and trying to do an 80 image sneak peek for a client that doesn't need 80 images for a sneak peek. That's where I really need to improve next year. So have you always outsourced your editing? But I, I use um, a company over in India that seems to be gaining popularity called Udio and uh, I've been with them for about three years. And uh, every time someone posts up in the community, oh, need a retoucher, I'm surprised by how many people are using them now because it used to be, uh, most people used to stay sort of image salon. And I never used them, and I heard great things about them, but I decided to go with Udio. But yeah, I've been with them nearly three years, and it's mainly because I'm a pretty lousy. Uh, I'm not. It's not like I'm terrible at using Lightroom. I'm just not fast and efficient with it. So I will do. I will go through my wedding. I will cut it, put it into Lightroom. I will go and do a load of edits, and I will then get them to match the editing from my images to the ones that need editing. So they kind of, they can see the ones I've done and they just sort of match it to the same style. But they've been, because they've probably edited uh, maybe 100 weddings for me now, they kind of know my style. And I think that they generally will give the same editors, the same team will do my work. So they're pretty good. And I've been using them for a while, um, mainly because I'm doing, you know, I'm averaging, on a normal year, I'll do about 40, 40 weddings maybe. Uh, next year is going to be something ridiculous like, 55 i think at the moment maybe more but uh yeah i do lean on them i do find i'm just not very efficient fast at editing so it's better to yeah outsource that yeah i think that's a good tip to end on though you know in in the whole you know not many people everyone's kind of focused on the here and now and you know think everything that's kind of going wrong and that's gone wrong this year people need to start looking forward to next year and these bit these really busy diaries and starting to mentally prepare but also look where they can gain efficiencies i think and um you know things like outsourcing editing or uh you know managing their own diaries a little bit so that because they know what you know looking at when the big bottlenecks are going to arrive when there's going to be four five six weddings in a, in the space of 10 days or whatever because there's a thing there's a lot of us going to be in that situation and not and not be in a position where where we're going to be surprised by that when it happens next year and start kind of preparing for it with thinking about things like you're talking about like outsourcing your editing or or other things, you know, whatever it might be, getting somebody to help with your admin. Um, and yeah, just looking ahead in that in that way. Absolutely. I think, you know, and this is the time now to, we've got, uh, by the sound of it, six months to, um, you know, to use that time really efficiently and, uh, and get prepared. I think the, uh, the editing houses are going to be uh, overwhelmed with work next year. I really do. So I think, yeah, get in there now, get some, get them to test some stuff, make sure you're happy um, and do that work now so you're ready. So you can hit the ground running come April, May. Amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. Um, yeah, likewise. 
Uh, good luck with the next, whatever happens over the next uh, few months and into the future. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll see you very soon. All right, cheers, Adam. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ray, for being on the Dotcast and sharing so much about your approach, your mindset, and some solid gold advice for anyone on their way up the wedding photography ladder. Check out Rafe's work at rafeabrook.co.uk. You can listen to previous episodes of the Dotcast anywhere you normally listen to podcasts. And for more about Nine Dots, head over to nine-dots.co. We're not in Kansas anymore.